0: creating cultural awareness and understanding. This is Culture Click. Culture Click is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. This week
1: on Culture Click, we take you to the Winona County Historical Society for the annual Cemetery Walk. The Cemetery Walk features theatrical portrayals of Winona County historical figures. This year's walk focuses on Winona area parks and the many stories behind them. I'm Willard Hike. And this is Culture Click here on KQAL. Well,
2: oh, good evening. It's good music as usual. There, every year, they get, probably get better. Just like the acting for this event, every year I say it can't get any better, and then, and then the next year it always is. But this is the 21st annual Woodlawn Cemetery Walk. And uh, the theme this year is a walk in the parks because every uh, site, all six sites, have something to do with with the Winona area parks. So the first site is uh, one of the Whitewater sites and it's the CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps, at Whitewater, site one.
3: Where am I? This looks like a cemetery, but it sure is at Whitewater State Park where I was buried.
4: No, no, we're in Winona. It looks a little like Woodlawn Cemetery, but that doesn't make any sense. I was buried at St. Mary's. Oh, wait a minute. Was that St. Charles with my second husband?
5: Hmm. I was laid to rest in the Cemetery of Cedar Valley Church, the same church where I was baptized 102 years earlier, I might add. Hmm.
0: Well, this is my gravesite, by my, my, my wife Margaret's. I'm Ken McQueen don't confuse me with steve mcqueen i wasn't a famous actor (laughs) (laughs) i ran the rd cone hardware store in downtown winona you may meet the previous owners landons on this tour also you know we must have been brought together for something important didn't you say that you were buried in whitewater that's a state park with campgrounds not burial grounds that's right i I'm,
3: i'm one of the very few people buried in whitewater uh, an upsetting for me, too, considering I spent much of my life preserving their wetlands, conserving their parks and wilderness areas. Uh, and for my efforts, they named a state forest after me, the Richard J. Durr Memorial Hardwood State Forest. I'm Richard Doerr. I remember you. Save the wetlands was your battle cry. That would be me. And, and you are? Oh, I'm Mildred Sebo
5: and I think we were brought together to share our stories of Whitewater. My connection began in 1934 when I organized the early historical pageants in the park. And I am proud to say thousands of people attended those pageants.
0: That's kind of like bringing dead people back to life to entertain all folks like these, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Whitewater from all the Boy and Girl Scout camperees that I had helped organize in the 1940s and 50s I was involved with many Winona organizations, but my greatest sense of accomplishment came from bringing young people into the great outdoors
4: Well, this is my opportunity to share some information about Whitewater in the 1930s I guess I should introduce myself first. I'm Catherine Lambert Breitbach and in the 1930s I recruited young men to work at state and national parks with the Civilian Conservation Corps. That's the CCC. That was the pet project of President Franklin Roosevelt. It was one of his um, projects under the New Deal Initiative. It was meant to counter the devastating effects of the Great Depression. You know, most people forget that one in four Americans were out of work in 1933 when President Roosevelt took office. It's just horrible.
0: Yes, it was very scary times. We were lucky to have had leaders like President Roosevelt Mm -hmm. who saw the problem and could work together with others to solve it.
5: And uh, don't forget his wife, Eleanor, she was the driver too, and Frances Perkins FDR's Secretary of Labor. Now, she was the first woman to ever hold that job. Together, Eleanor and Francis created a program similar to the CCC for young women. It was affectionately called the She-She-She. <laughs> <That's pretty laughs>
3: yeah, yes, the, the CCC... And, and, the, the, she, CCC and she, she, she. the she she the She-She-She were very important in, uh, programs. Uh, but, you know, we almost didn't have a state park for those young folks to do their fine work, uh, and let alone do a scouting jamboree or historical pageants. Really, Mr. Doerr, why was that? Well, <clears throat> when they first proposed the park in 1917, the le- they called it Whitewater. That's the Dakota name, for, or English translation of Dakota name for the river Minnesota. The legislature approved the funding for the park, but the governor vetoed it.
0: Huh. How did that happen? I had read that Whitewater had been a recreational area since the mid-1800s. And with all the water that's running through there, it sure couldn't have been much good for farming.
3: Well, World War I happened, oh. and everything got placed on hold. Okay. Fortunately, when the wars end, war ended, and with the prospects of more prosperous times ahead, the legislature once again authorized funding for the park in 1919, 100 years ago.
6: This time you the governor go
3: wow. uh, approved the funding. Very good. It was Southeast Minnesota's very first state park. A poem was written in its commemorated uh, the occasion. Uh, let me see if I can remember a line of it. Um, oh, in this whole wide world, there's not a valley so sweet as in the vale of the bo- in whose bosom the white waters meet.
5: Beautifully recited, Mr. Dor. Very
3: nice.
4: The
5: park was. Still is the crown jewel of Winona County's natural wonders. And it's been lovingly stewarded over the years by men like you and John Latch, the Winona philanthropist, who, with his land donation, almost doubled the size of the park yeah. in 1927. I think John's buried around here someplace. Perhaps I should dig him up and renew our acquaintance. Oh, 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 <laughs> figuratively speaking, of course. <laughs> so tell me, Mr. Dorr, what type of restoration did you and the CCC have to do to the park?
3: Well, it is a crown jewel, Ms. Sebo, but when I first laid eyes on it, it was a, it was a, a diamond in a rough. Uh, it was suffered under years of massive soil erosion. Uh, parts of it were buried under 12 feet of silt. Oh Logs goodness. jammed the streams and the rivers. It was a mess, but, and many people thought I was a fool to take on the challenge. Well, thank goodness for fools like you, Mr. Dore, because the
4: work that you did restoring that park not only made it beautiful, but it also taught valuable life skills to our CCC men. By the way, did you happen to work with the WPA, the older men too?
3: Ah, the WPA, the Works Progress Administration. Well, you probably know more about those alphabet soup programs of the New Deal than I do, Miss Breitbach, since you recruited for them.
4: Well, that's true. I did recruit for the Poor Department. That's currently called Social Services. But, just to set the record straight, back then my name was Mrs. Lambert, not Mrs. Breitbach. I was a single mother back then.
5: Yes, I remember you. Divorced and three little ones to care for.
4: You were so fortunate to have a job, Catherine. Yes, I was, Mildred, because as you know, if Mr. Lambert had been in the picture, I wouldn't have been able to work, because no matter how qualified or how competent, married woman just couldn't get jobs.
5: Don't I know that committed
4: bachelorette for all of my 102 years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back to what I was saying about recruiting for the poor department. We were looking for a few good men, uh, not me, (laughs) between the ages of 18 to 25, and we wanted them to work outdoors. And we paid them $30 per month, and they had to send $25 of that back home.
0: And they agreed to that.
4: They happily agreed to that. In many cases, that was the only money that was coming into their families. These times were really hard. Now, just to clarify, when I was recruiting for them, I was working for the Federal Labor Department because the CCC was actually a collaboration of many different federal agencies. The recruitment was done by the Labor Department. The Army took care of the work camps, And then all of the conservation work was done by the Forest Service and um, the National Parks Program. And of course, Whitewater was one of the parks.
0: Whoa, that is some kind of coordination between all those agencies. And I kind of thought organizing all these nuts and bolts in my hardware store was complicated.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It was considered one of America's most popular and uh, successful programs. Uh, and those men were good workers too. Uh, besides the cabins, they built, oh, besides the conservation efforts, they did, built cabins, they built stone shelters, bridges, signs, you name it, they built it.
0: And the Camperies that I helped organize made really good use of those facilities, especially when we sent the Boy Scouts to a Polar Camp in February. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Ms. Siebel? Did your pageants make use of those facilities too? Truth be told,
5: Mr. McQueen, those weren't built when I first organized those pageants. We held the pageants in the park's natural beauty, the great outdoor amphitheater. And it was the excitement of, of reenacting some of Minnesota's history that inspired me to start up the Winona County Historical Society. We were one of the few counties in the state that didn't have an organization that was dedicated to preserving and communicating its history, yet, we were one of the richest yeah. in historical mm-hmm. content. Yes.
7: It
4: needed to be done.
7: Absolutely.
4: And Mildred, you were definitely the driver for that. You know, Eleanor and Francis would be very proud. Mm-hmm. Well, thank
5: you, Catherine, but I think we should all be proud of our accomplishments. All it takes is an idea, the energy to keep it moving, and the cooperation of others. I remember a quote by Helen Keller, the famous American author and political activist. She wrote... Alone we can do so little. Together, <laughs> Together
4: we, we can, can do, do so much. So
2: much. <laughs> uh, even though this year's theme is the uh, the theme is parks but it could also be called tornado this year because torna- a tornado ripped through Woodlawn on September the 11th. Did massive damage to the middle of the cemetery which is going to take a couple of years probably to, to get back to, well, it'll never be back to normal because those trees are gone, but at least to clean the cemetery up, and we, we, got it, we managed to get it cleaned up well enough to have the, the walk out there this year, to make it safe anyway. Uh, you know, we can always find a little bit of humor in everything, and the, the grounds crew at Woodland, when we were discussing what the headline should read about this thing. <laughs> you know, a lot of people walk the cemetery, and even at 6.20 in the morning when this thing hit. A lot of people walk it every day. I'm guessing maybe fifty. We were very fortunate that, that, that morning that no one was walking in the cemetery. It was ra- the rain, you know, that, that was the reason really. It was raining at the same time. Uh, so there were you know, there were no injuries. Uh the grounds crew came up with the headline of and this was actually coined mostly by a gentleman named Jeff Singer, retired law enforcement officer. He's part of the grounds crew, and uh We came up with the headline, Tornado Rips Through Woodlawn. By the way, there's 23,000 burials out there. Mm -hmm. Tornado rips through woodlawn, 23,000 dead, no fatalities. (laughs) (laughs) So, here we are with site two. John, John, where are you?
8: Oh, hey, Sarah. at over here on this rock, there's some great moss over here.
9: John Holzinger, I should've known you'd be up here looking for moss. Don't you ever get tired of looking for moss.
8: No, there's so many amazing varieties. Come
9: over here, check this out. This is amazing. John Holzinger, the last time I was climbing upon these rocks, I almost got bit by one of those rattlesnakes that are all over here.
8: Doesn't that scare you? No, you know, I've got my stick and I know how to use it.
9: That's true. You've killed many a snake with that.
8: Yep. Well,
10: Sarah and John Holzinger. why am I not surprised to find you here? Louise Garvin, how are you? We haven't seen you for a long time. Well, well, how are you? And where's Herbert today? Oh, Herbert's up climbing up to one of the tops of those hills. You know how he loves the view from up there.
8: Well, you know, everybody does. It's sure quite a view up there. And what a gift he did for giving the those heights to the normal school.
9: I think it should be called Garvin Heights. Now that the normal school has donated it to the city of Winona, it should have a proper name. And I can't think of anything more appropriate than your last name, Louise. Garvin Heights. It has a nice ring to it. That's nice. Well, John,
10: you know, Herbert wanted to be sure that you could still bring your students from the normal school out here to study botany. And rattlesnakes. Yes. (laughs) Herbert wanted to make sure that was always possible. To see the snakes? <laughs> no, Sarah. Sarah. Oh, the moss and the geological work that John is so learned about. But I did hear that you and your son found one with 10 rattles and another one that was, what, three feet long yeah. with seven babies waiting to be born.
8: Yeah, we did. You know, this is their habitat after all. We are the invaders here. But, you know, your husband, he donated the, the Farmer's Park to the community. That was really quite a gift that he did there. That's
11: good. This
12: is good. Well, hello, everyone. Did I hear somebody talking about Farmer's Park? Well,
8: hello there. And who might you be?
12: Well, I'm Cora sebo And well, I was just a youngster when you folks were rambling around these hills and establishing these beautiful parks for us, but I thought you would like to know, Sarah, your idea about naming Garvin Heights actually happened. I knew it would. Garvin Heights. <laughs> you were clairvoyant. I'm good but at But John, that. just up the street, is also Holsinger Lodge, named in your honor. And it sits right at the base right. of the hill where you used to take your students. And it was brought here from Savage, Minnesota, put together piece by piece by the National Youth Administration back in 1940. But then when normal school became Winona State University, (laughs) they assigned it back to the city so that it could be better maintained and
9: enjoyed by all of us. Well, that is quite an honor. So John, you taught at, Cora, what did you call it? Winona State State University? University. You taught at Winona State University before it became Winona State University.
8: (laughs) I guess I did, wow. You know, I wonder what Dr. Irwin Shepard would think. You know, when he brought me here to the normal school, to, to, to know that that someday might be a university? But you know, for most of the time I was there, it was, you know, it was Winona State Teachers College.
9: It was, and I will never forget that devastating fire. John had the most amazing collection right. of fossils and moss on the third floor of the normal school. Well, there was a fire. And it destroyed his whole collection it was just devastating
8: i never really did get over that
9: but he did go on to build an even bigger and better collection when he worked for the minnesota association of natural history that was awesome that you could do we that did
8: rebuild yes yep
9: yeah. but cora tell us more about farmers park i hear it's called the arches sometimes yes And you know, Louise, that gift from you and Herbert, those
12: 27 and a half glorious acres, was and is such
10: a gift to this community. But how did that all come about? Well, when Herbert first came to Winona, you know, he was working for the railroad. But then in 1889, he left the railroad and helped start (coughs) the state milling company.
9: I remember that. Mm -hmm.
10: He eventually became vice president of the company. He was always interested in parks and highways, and also the rural life, and 4-H for the kids. I'm sure his railroad connections helped quite a bit when he persuaded them to give up some land along the lake when they abandoned their tracks. And then that land was filled in with dredging from the lake, and it became a park. And then I think it was about in 1918, that we donated the area on the hill above it to Winona State Teachers College. And then in 1925, he gave Winona County those 27 and a half acres between Stockton and Lewiston for Farmers Community Park.
12: Oh, and I tell you, some years, there could be 14,000 registered visitors to those shelters, and that didn't count those of us that just went out to have a picnic or fish or play on the playground. It was, um, and when Watkins would have their family picnic, there could be over a thousand people there just in that one day. And I understand that you and Herbert never
10: wanted anyone to have to pay to use these parks. And that's right. Herbert set up a farm bureau board to run the parks and also the shelters
9: that were built.
10: And when he donated the women's building, (coughs) <coughs> only women could use it.
9: Oh, now why did he do that, Louise?
10: Well, because he felt that women were so important to the farm that they deserved their own building.
9: I agree with that. Here, here.
10: <laughs> and whenever a farmer died, they would have this special service at the park. Every woman at the service would be given a flower, and then two or three of them at a time would. Toss their flowers into the creek and watch them slowly float away. Beautiful. Oh, it's very moving. It
8: really was yeah. quite moving. Well, you know, I I'd heard Herbert felt that anyone who was a member of 4 H was an owner of the parks. Mm-hmm. Now he was quite the taskmaster over at Bay State Milling, but that allowed the company to flourish and in turn allowed him and the company to donate a lot to the Community and we'd really be a much poorer place without it That's
9: right. Well, you shouldn't sell yourself short either John Holsinger and I think that whenever any of the Winona State students and Families and children play in our parks and climb up Garvin Heights Well, they should be whispering a thank you to you Louise and Herbert mm-hmm. and to you and John also <coughs> Sarah And that's right
10: Holsinger Lodge and Bluffside Park, Garvin Heights, and Farmers Community Park. All such treasured Winona landmarks. You know, I cannot imagine what life would be like here without them.
8: Well, it may not seem like it, but there's still some good weather left this year, so. If you find yourself out, you know, having a picnic at Farmers Park, or maybe enjoying the view up at Garvin Heights, or looking for some moss.
9: Or rattlesnakes.
2: (laughs) Think of us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Concerning Garvin Heights, every time we have visitors, we always take them up to Garvin Heights. They're just amazed at, at the view from up there. We're very lucky to have it. And also, this is part of this. I put this in the category of worthless but interesting information. Um, Garvin Heights is almost exactly the same height as Mount Suribachi on Iwo Jima. And every time I look up there, I think of what the Marines had to have been looking up at and knowing that they had to get to the top of it somehow. So, uh, Also, we've got uh, DVDs are, uh, uh, down in the lobby. DVDs are available from any year of the cemetery walk that we have uh, videos from. And there's a limited amount from each year, but we can always get more uh, if you want a certain year that we don't have. So, uh, this is site three. Alan. How delightful it is to see you here. It's wonderful to
7: see you, Dan and Daniel.
13: <laughs> Folks, I would like you to meet the beautiful, talented, and charming Mrs. Ellen Wyndham, the wife of woman preeminent citizen, Mr. William Wyndham, who served in the United States Senate, the House of Representatives, and was a Secretary of Treasury, not only just one president, but two. But I have a question for you. Yes. Now that you're a ghost, Is it any easier to travel? (laughs) Well, those
7: ectoplasmic conveyances can be easily disrupted by strong lightning or a stiff wind. In fact, I ran into a storm when I was going over uh, Louisville that sent me halfway across Tennessee before I got back on course.
13: Well, it's both lovely and fortunate that you managed to get through that and you're here. Mm -hmm. But do I dare ask you what, besides present company of course, might be bringing you here.
7: Well, William and I have had several distractions over the last couple of decades. There was uh, General Grant and uh, President Harding who kept dropping in, and we almost completely missed the news that the first Ward Park had been named after my dear Daniel. And then there was the other third Ward Park that was named after you, in your honor. So we've got Sinclair Park, Wyndham Park has a nice ring to it, doesn't
1: it? Well, well, well. If it isn't Mr. and Mrs. Park, (laughs) (laughs) or do I draw too much of a conclusion from a shared uh surname? William J. Whipple, you old (laughs) renegade. Hey, you still sore
13: because Hayes beat Tilden in 76? Okay, now admit it. You Democrats are never at a loss to come up with new plans to lose an election. (laughs) And you
1: Republicans are never at a loss for money to buy them with, either. Well, you know what they say, to the victor comes the spoils. True and true. Your inexplicable loyalty to the Republican cause did land you two terms as Winona's postmaster, after all.
13: Yes, and when the voters had the bad judgment to turn us out in 85,
1: you got your four years in. Well, I hope I left it just as well as I found it when you returned after the election of 90. And you know, it is really too bad that Winona never got around to naming a park after me. We'd all be family at last. <laughs> well, I
13: fancy that my having headed up the park board for all those years had a bit to do with it.
1: Mm-hmm. Spoils again, right? <laughs> but where are my manners? How are you doing, Mrs. Wyndham? Oh, and, and how is your esteemed husband?
7: Well, for being dead 128 years, very well, thank you. <laughs> he can't stop talking about those days in the Senate. And then uh, he also... Uh, kind of thinks that uh, a big mistake was made in choosing uh, James Garfield to run oh. for president when the party chose him instead of William. I well, think uh, this was 1880. Yeah. Big mistake.
13: Big yes. Mistake. Well, you know, uh, Garfield did come to a tragic end. I must confess, though, that I'm glad it wasn't William who was the target of the assassin's bullets.
7: As am I. Tell you, two stints as Secretary of Treasury was enough for my. That was close enough to the White House for my liking, but it did put him on the two-dollar bill, and uh, I kind of thought he wasn't for long. I always thought him to be a lot better looking than Thomas Jefferson. Well,
1: as well you should, Mm -hmm. you know, for a Republican. He was a fine man, and while I may have disagreed with just about everything he advocated for, I will be the first to admit that he was a man of character. Now, if he had only switched allegiances to the Democratic side of things, I might have felt a little more warmly toward him. Oh, William, after
13: all these years, and you still have not seen the light. But for a couple of old party warhorses, it was a good line of work that you and I ended up in. I published the Republican paper, and your Winona Herald catered to the misapprehensions of those folks misled
1: by you Democrats. <laughs> you, uh, you describe our positions accurately enough, but I will always maintain that the errors were on your side of the ballot. There's
13: no question about it. Newspapering in the 19th century was a partisan affair. There was none of this fair and balanced stuff for us. Our readers knew where we stood, and they gave their undivided attention to whatever views they agreed with.
7: (laughs) Well, I must say, they might have the same situation these days with uh, Fox News and uh, MSNBC.
1: Oh, yes, yes, I'm well aware of that, but it's still very different from back in our day when we would write on our respective editorial pages. You know, we would go toe-to-toe over the various issues of the time, be it unions or tariffs or free silver, whatever the issue of the day was. I was always right, he was always wrong, of course.
13: Uh, Now, I
1: think it was just the opposite. But no sooner would the two of us put our papers to bed we would meet again in bonds of friendship. Finally, something we can
13: agree on. I've always maintained that William was as warm-hearted as he was wrong-headed. And I dare say he felt the same way about me. But if we want to have a strong and healthy democracy, there's no avoiding differing opinions and sharp debate. And in the end, both he and I were just seeking what was best for our country, our community, and our neighbors. Even if the Democrats could ever come up with the
1: right answers. There is one last bit of business that truly proves that we did have more in common, though, than our political differences. You see, in 1901, our two papers, his Winona Republican and the right paper, the Winona Herald, they merged together to form the Winona Republican Herald. And then in 1954, they renamed it to the Winona Daily News. And I am very pleased to say that it is still being published to this very day. Now, Mrs. Wyndham, if I may be a reporter once again, tell us what are your thoughts on Wyndham Park?
7: Well, uh, it's very lovely in terms of it's a nice gazebo, nice flowers. Uh, And in fact, it's turned out to be a fine home for Princess Winona and uh, her pelicans and tortoises, after they were so rudely evicted from their proper home in Central
1: Park. Now, now, I hope that you know that neither Daniel nor I had anything to do with that particular post office. Yeah,
13: well, yeah. no, yes, I and as I do say, there are a goodly number of people in this town that think it was a grave mistake. I
7: think the two of you should editorialize on it. So, for my part, I'm back to Washington, D.C. to join William in our final resting place. Uh, as long as he was here, his legal residence, he kept as Winona, but uh, I think that he just anticipated that uh, eternity would be far more interesting out east. Oh
1: well, <laughs> give our regards then and farewell. Well, farewell. farewell to you. Now, William,
13: if those four whippersnappers in Congress had their way, this country is going to go to the door.
2: If you went to Winona High, you'll remember that Wyndham Park was our athletic field. That was the closest place uh, that we could go. By the last, when we'd go down there on foot, of course. By the last week of school, or by the last month of school, our gym uniforms couldn't even be termed gym uniforms anymore. They were shredded, and I hated, you know, be uh, out uh, doing activities between Fifth and Broadway uh, looking like that. But that's the way it was. I think, I think the boys wore red shorts and white T-shirts. I can't remember what the what the girls had. Anybody? Remember that? Red jumpers. Oh, okay. <laughs> At Wyndham Park, that was the place we, we had it. So, the next one is Site 4.
11: Has anybody seen Ida this evening? Ida. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is William J. Landon. J. I was born in Pennsylvania in 1853. I operated a prominent hardware store, one of the best west of the Mississippi River, Cones Hardware, on 2nd Street where Grace Place is located today. I also dabbled in title breeding on the side, and this lovely Southern Belle is my wife, Nancy Morgan Westmoreland Landon.
14: Oh, Jay, you do go on. Good evening. I was born in 1868 in South Carolina. I did come from an old Southern family. I was a member of Daughters of the Confederacy and the DAR. My daddy was a physician with the Army of the Confederacy. Jay and I met in Atlanta and married in November 1900. Oh,
11: indeed you did, Nancy, with me barely six months in the grave, too. Now, Heidi, we've been over this many times. I was lonely without you and had our son to raise. Nancy and her family were so kind to me when you died that man, in Atlanta on our return from our Florida vacation. Uh, folks, as you may have surmised, this is my light, late wife, Ida Cohn Landed. Anyway, Ida, where have you been? We were getting worried about you. Why, I took an early morning stroll. <laughs>
6: Down to Central Park to see my statue. Oh, it gives me such comfort to see her, Princess Winona, and know that for a time at least you did grieve for me. But Jane, she wasn't there. Where is she? Is she broken? Where is she? I can't deal with one more loss in my life. Oh, my dear, you
14: have forgotten once again. You need to go to Wyndham Park now to view her. Our dear husband served on the park board for many years. He generously offered to donate the land for Central Park and the statue in Ada's memory. Princess Winona. The fountain with the turtles and the pelicans were placed in Central Park in August 1902. This park was often referred to as Central Park or Landon Square. (laughs) This bronze work graced the park for 60
11: years. I thought the statue a fitting memorial to you, my love. You had grown up in the area. I commissioned your distant cousin, Isabel Moore Kimball, to create the statue.
6: Yes, I remember we met her in 98 when she taught uh, drawing that summer at the teacher's college.
11: She took great care to get the details correct. She went to the zoo to observe pelicans. Her father caught her a snapping turtle to study as well. She used Native American women as models and authentic period clothing and jewelry.
6: Yes, I love my statue, and I've always identified with her tragic life. Perhaps not all of
14: these good people know the story of Princess Winona.
11: Indeed, Nancy. The original site of our city was called Kiaxa, or Wapashaw's Prairie, after mm-hmm. the chief whose band spent summers there. The legend of Winona we know Nameen's firstborn daughter has several versions. The basic story is this a young Native American woman, grief stricken over not being able to wed her true love, leaps to her death from a tall bluff. The version,
14: most well known in the area, was told by William Keaton in 1824 and was a third hand account. He heard it from Major Stephen Long who led an expedition along the Mississippi River. Long heard it as early as 1817 from a Native American Wascota, which means Red Wing, who claimed to have witnessed the event as a child. Keaton's account suggests that Winona was the daughter of Wapashaw, and she lived on this prairie. She wanted to marry a hunter, but her family wanted her to marry a warrior. While on a tribal expedition to Lake Pepin to dig for clay, her brothers pressed the issue once again. And ascending to the precipice in Wisconsin now called Maiden Rock,
11: she made the leap to her death. (sighs) There is a similar story set in Alabama, and James Fenimore Cooper tells a parallel tale in The Last of the Mohicans. Anyway, our city's name is derived from this legend.
6: Well, I have always identified with Winona, as I am one who also knew so much sorrow in her lifetime. First, my mother died when I was just a girl of 14 years, and that was in 1870, and I had to assume the responsibility and care of our home and my two younger sisters and brother. And then in the beginning of 1883, over the course of six years, I had lost my two sisters and my brother.
11: Dear you endured much sadness in your life, but we had our son Frank and each other. I thought after your father died in the sanatorium, I thought taking you to Florida would ease your spirits a bit.
6: I know you did try, Jay. And then I became unwell on the way back from Atlanta. And while you brought me home here, and you buried me at the cemetery, and then you... Oh, you? Why, you went right back to Atlanta and you took up with her! No, Ah, No. it wasn't like that. Anyway, where's my statue? What have they done with her? We are soulmates and sisters in sorrow. Well, remember in the
14: 1960s, the city decided to sell the Central Park land to some business financiers who wanted to rent the land out for a new post office.
6: Oh, I had forgotten those terrible goings-on
11: I know, I literally rolled over in my grave over that decision
6: (laughs) Well, it didn't
14: sit well with others in the community either Many felt that the old post office building was worth saving
11: Well, ladies, there's no use crying over spilled milk That was 50 years ago now Well,
6: what happened to Princess Winona? Where is she? We are so sisters.
14: Well, well, she was taken to Lake Park and then to Plaza Square at Third and Center Streets to aid in the redevelopment of downtown.
15: Oh,
6: don't you tell me about that story. They put her in. No. Stor- st- 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 storage. 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 St- 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 st-
14: But then, um, she was taken to Wyndham Park. Mm
6: -hmm.
14: She is surrounded by grass and trees, flowers and benches. There is a gazebo nearby.
6: Oh, 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 the pitiful thing. So many moves, so many changes. (laughs) Oh, I I hope she didn't crack in the process. Wyndham Park, you say, on Broadway? Ah, and I must go to her, my princess. Winona, Winona, honey, I'm coming, I'm coming.
11: Ida has always been a bit sensitive and intense, folks.
14: <laughs> yes, darling.
11: Well, folks, have a great evening. Give Princess Winona a wave when you go by her, will you? Or better yet, have a nice, peaceful sit by her fountain someday.
2: I'd, I'd like to bring your attention to one thing under Site Four on the same page in the History Center here, and it was on uh, November sixth. The travels of Princess Winona, and that's going to be here at the History Center on November sixth. So we'll bring out Site Four. Oh, I'm sorry, Site Five. Careful.
16: Careful. Careful. Mind your manners. He Watch your step. He doesn't need to
17: be so rude. They're, they're stepping all over my boat. There's important dirt there.
16: He <laughs> likes to collect rare artifacts. Fossils. Dead things.
17: Relics of things gone by.
16: Like this. Oh, don't be so frightened there. We've been dead a long time now. We're used to it. My name is Sophie Finkelberg, and this is... Was... Well, re- actually is, even though you're dead.
17: No wonder I died. <laughs>
16: my husband, William, but everybody in Winona called him Bill. He was very well known, don't you know?
17: Even though I spend most of my time in collecting fossils in the woods by myself.
16: And this is Ella Finkelberg. She grew up and married our dear son, Carl.
14: I loved going to the parks ever since I was a little girl. I was so proud when I ended up marrying my Carlton, who his family held Bill, one of my favorite places. Carl Witt grew up and went to the law and became a judge, just like his father did.
16: My Bill was one of the most respected legal minds in Winona. He was founder of Metal, Hitchcock, and Finklenberg law firm and became the city attorney in 1888 and an expert in municipal law.
17: Oh, that'll wake him right up. Real showstopper that municipal law is. Let's all sing a rousing chorus of building ordinance number 505. (laughs)
16: You get used to him after a while. It took me some time.
17: He was a <laughs> widower,
16: you know. His wife, first wife, Mary Allen, passed away the first year into their marriage.
17: I was lost there for a bit, but Sophie came along and you know, picked me up and helped shake me back together.
16: Shake you back together? Well, he was good at many things. Poetry was not one of them. I like to think I came along and helped him become the man I always knew he could be.
17: I spent many a year in the woods after I lost Mary looking for lost things for my collection.
16: And what a fine collection it was. We donated that collection to the Smithsonian Institute, where it resides today. One of the finest collections of river fossils from the Wisconsin River Valley.
17: But that's not what I was known for. And a man wants to be remembered for something. He wants his life work to matter long after he's gone. Or at least I did.
16: What we all remember you for is Levy Park. Isn't that so? Well, hello, Rosie. We were just going to talk about that. I don't think these good folks know about that yet. Why everyone knows about Levy Park. Well, now they do, now that it's been gussied up and reopened and all.
17: Shameful how in disrepair my project had fallen.
16: Even after the flooding Levee walls added. But I don't think people know that my Bill built Levy Park. Well, not by himself, but he imagined it. He came up with the whole idea. He was not just a legal expert. An
17: amateur geologist of some renown.
16: But he was also a landscape engineer. Self-taught. Yes, he drew up all the plans, just like your brother Michael Baminick did for Lake Park. Well, he didn't do the engineering,
18: but while he was Parks Director from 1941 to 1968, he helped make our wonderful Lake Park the beauty it is today.
17: This is Rosie Baminick Wieczek Lipinski. She's actually buried over in St. Mary Cemetery, but we're you know, glad she could join us. You might remember her brother, Michael Baminick. Uh, most of the baseball fields and softball fields in Lake Park are named after him. See, folks, if you work hard, people can enjoy the fruits of your labor for years after you're gone.
16: That's what my bill always wanted.
17: That and to collect dirt and bugs.
16: We came home one day.
17: We had taken one of those fancy riverboat cruises.
16: And the riverboat came around the bend and pulled up to the city dock.
17: And I said to Sophie, Sophie, isn't that the ugliest damn thing you've ever seen?
16: And I said, Bill, watch your language. I thought he was talking about my hat.
17: <laughs> now, nah, I had gotten used to her hat by that time. I was talking about our levee. It was old and broken down. And I even heard one of the other passengers saying, though this town can't be worth going into, not if the rest of the town looks like this. I knew right then and there what had to be done.
16: It took them years.
18: Like it took for the current renovation to the park you folks just completed. Years of hard work. It does take Winona a long time to get even a little bit done.
17: <laughs> Nobody had seen anything like I had imagined. It was a promenade, a connection to the river, a, a something to be proud of, the most important and beautiful riverside park in the country, a gateway.
16: And you would think that having a gateway to our beautiful town would be what you folks would call a no-brainer, but the city council voted it down. They rejected the plans that Bill had painstakingly worked on from 1886 to 1893. Took seven long years.
17: Some of the council stuck with me. Some finally came around.
16: Sadly, in 1916, Bill passed away and Levy Park was not completed yet.
17: Well, it was well on its way. I I knew our city would have a gem, that our community and our river would be better off for what I had left it.
16: And over the years, we've seen the Wilkie come and go, Lady Bird Johnson and later President Carter walked along the shore on the paths.
6: And now
14: we even hear dance parties, concerts and community gatherings there. And
16: we get so tickled. (laughs) Like
18: the band shell at my brother's park, Lake Park.
16: Yes, lots of people had their hands in our other landmark park tried to get the property back in 1900.
18: The Board of Park Commissioners took seven years to get all the land purchased, bit by bit. And then, private citizens raised the 100000 needed for the landscaping, the dredging, and the structures that were needed.
17: William G. Norton and Matthew H., uh, Michael H. Lair, the famous lumber barons, they donated the first $10,000, mostly for preliminary work and, you know, surveys, while the rest of the money was being raised. Then, they threw in an additional $50,000. That was mainly for Phil, as the land was mostly marsh. And in
16: 1924, the bandshell was donated by Frederick Summers Bell. Um, And in World War II, even Abbott and Costello performed there to sell war bonds.
17: Performed where? There. Where, there? Where? There.
16: There, yes, there, there. In the bandshell.
17: Oh, there, well, why didn't you say so?
18: My brother became head of the parks board, and many more improvements were added. In 1961, a local dentist, Clay Rohr, and the Winona Rose Society donated 50 rose bushes and created the Rohr Rose Garden, which at its peak had over 1,000 bushes.
16: It is slated for a renovation, hopefully in the near future. So be sure to talk to your current council, city council members. Tell them we'd like to replant our once proud garden. So it doesn't take as long.
17: Later on, a veterans' park was added and a memorial to the wars and to those who have served.
16: And in the winter months, when the lake froze over, it was home to our winter carnival. And ice skating. (laughs)
15: Lake
16: Lodge was built and then renovated when the beach was moved to the community pool. And then?
18: The bike paths were added, and there was the part my brother worked so hard for, the community ball fields and playground areas. So thanks to the Baminick family, and the Finkelbergs, and many others in our community who worked so tirelessly.
17: Our community had two, has two, remarkable Riverside Park, Waterside Park to cherish, bookending the town.
16: Yes, places for people to gather and play, to bask in the scenic beauty, and bringing us all closer to life-giving water. With our lakes and our river. Levy Park. And Lake Park. What would Winona be without them?
17: Now, thanks for stopping by, but can you move along now, folks? I'd like to get back to collecting my bugs.
2: <laughs> of course, I remember Lake Park mostly by the, by the beach. Even though the sand pits probably had twice the number of people out there that Lake Park Lot uh, Beach did, but the beach and also the ice skating in the in the winter, and the warming house, which I, I probably spent more time in there than I did out in sub- the And uh, the submarine races. Yeah. Okay. That was the la- the next thing. Of course, it, it was most known probably, at least in my day, as uh, the location for what was not what was called the uh, the now uh, uh, lost art of parking. the full length of the lake really you could you know there there was plenty of space it was known as watching the submarine races (laughs) so so site six is next and this site actually i learned more about whitewater i I knew almost nothing about the whitewater pow camp during world war ii until this year was very informative site six
19: Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for showing up. My name is Clinton W. Mm Dabblesteen, and I'm the farm agent for this area. Now, you folks, you've been getting all settled in here, but I'm going to ask you to take a little trip with me. We're going to go back to the summer of 1944, and when we get there, I'm going to ask you folks to change places with the people who were living there. And I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about well, Whitewater State Park, soldiers, prisoners, friendships, maybe a romance or two, and bringing in the harvest. Now, this not only is a good story, it's a true story. So can anybody here? I'm sure somebody can not tell me what was going on in 1944. That's right. We had a terrible war going on. And as farm agent for this area, I called this special meeting to introduce a new government assistance program for the farmers. And I'm really excited about this program, because it's one of the main things we can do to help the war effort and to help our farmers. Now, I've farmed down by Homer Township since 1916, so I know a thing or two about this. And I know that leaving a crop in the field for lack of hands to harvest it is a real serious problem. Now, before we get started, uh, does anybody have any questions?
15: Well, you know yes, ma'am? Kate Speltz from Altura. Now, I'm betting you're here today to push some new government program on us, am I right?
19: You're absolutely right, Kate, and folks, if anybody knows Kate as good as I do, you know darn well she's got an opinion. Oh,
15: yes, I so why
19: don't we have her come right down front here and show it to us?
15: Well, I'm, I'm thinking most of the farm folks here know me. Kate Speltz, or if you want to be formal, Mrs. Lewis Speltz. Now, my daughter, Catherine. Catherine's here with me today, too. She and her husband help out on our farm near Mount Vernon Township. Now, I have to tell you, I have known this man for a long time, and there is nobody that likes to talk about government programs more than Clint does, so how about we just sit back and hear what he's trying to sell us today?
19: Well, thanks, Kate, but could you ask Catherine to come up, too? You know, there's on, nothing I like better than to meet these young folks that are helping out on the farm during these hard times.
20: Mr. Doblestein. You know, I have some girlfriends who work over at the cannery in Plainview. They've been hearing you know, about my, some of these hold rumors. Hold on a
19: second, and- I, I, I'm glad you're interested in this, but maybe you better let me explain, just to get the facts straight. Yes, ma'am? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not a farmer. I live
21: in Winona. <laughs> But I am here because my neighbors were telling me something about some program you're coming about with related to prisoners. Mm -hmm. And our son, Sergeant Robert Moravec, was first, they told us he was was missing in action. And then they said he was taken prisoner of war in Germany. Uh, And I want to know about this prisoner business. So I'm here.
19: Well, you're right, Mrs. Moravec. There has been some talk about this program. And what people are saying, well, it just isn't true. It does involve prisoners, just not in the way you might think. It may seem odd to you, but I'd like you to listen with an open mind. We've got this terrible war going on, and it costs a lot in lives and in hardships for people like you, Mrs. Moravec. But our farm produce is the lifeline To the home front and to the war effort. That is right. And we cannot afford to leave a crop in the field for lack of hands to harvest Mm it. Now, what if I was to tell you folks that we can supply each and every farm in this area with a crew of healthy young men capable of working eight full hours a day in the field?
15: Well, I would say there is no way our family could possibly afford that, and. Where are you going to find all these hardworking laborers to do the work of harvest? All the young fellows have gone off to war.
19: What if I told you you can have this crew of men? It would only cost you fifty cents for each hour worked.
15: Huh? <laughs> that's it.
19: Well, that's it, and maybe you can fix them a sandwich or two at dinner time. Well, if just they can't come into your house. <laughs>
20: It's the
15: craziest thing I've ever heard.
20: And they can't come into our houses. Why
15: not?
19: Well, uh, uh, they're German Germans.
15: <laughs> Clint, half the people in this county are German. In fact,
19: you're German too, aren't you Clint? That's right, but I'm not a German prisoner of war. What?
15: what?! I can't believe it! You mean to tell
21: me that those are the prisoners that people have been telling me about? Mm. Oh. I can hardly sleep at night for worrying about my poor Robert shut up in a German prisoner of war camp. Why in the world should we do anything for those, those Nazis? Well, I hope they rot in he- I mean, I hope they rot.
19: I understand, Mrs. Morvick, but wouldn't it be good if we could show these young men how we do things in this country? I mean, we let them write letters home. We give them good meals. Mm-hmm. We give them tokens for work they do so they can buy, well, like cigarettes and soap at the camp store. We even allot them two bottles of beer a day. Now, treating them like that might let them tell a different story back in Germany about us than what their country's been telling them about us. Mm -hmm. You know, this bunch of prisoners come out of the prisoner of war base camp in Algona, Iowa and were shipped up to Whitewater here for the summer. Some of these men have already been employed at the Lakeside Cannery in Plainview and at the Altura Turkey Plant. That's where a lot of these rumors got started. You know, these young men are just happy to be off the battlefield and out in the country.
20: You know, I have some girlfriends who work at that cannery out in Plainview, and they've been talking, and some of these Germans are really cute. One of them <laughs> even proposed marriage to one of the Catherine. girls, asked her family if she could come back Catherine. with him in Germany after the war. Oh, um, um, be...
11: um, Polly. They you, so know, you
19: know, Catherine, I don't think you're doing my case any good at all here.
20: <laughs> I, I'm just telling you all what they told me, okay? As one of the uh, guards that I know, uh, he heard them talking, and they were picking out farms that they'd like to take <gasps> after they won the war. Oh, oh. oh well, that does it for me. I don't care how many
21: government programs that you're cooking up. <coughs> this just isn't one of them. I'm leaving, and if I were you, I'd leave too.
19: Oh, it, Mrs. Morley. Just, just hold your horses. Folks, hear me out. There's, there's a good side to this, maybe a good side for all. First of all, there's no danger to anybody signing up for this program. The prisoners are brought out to the field along with an armed guard.
15: Oh, uh-huh. And I suppose we're supposed to pay for that, aren't we?
19: No, you pay the $0.50 cents an hour for each hour worked, and that money goes to the government. The hmm. prisoners take home $0.80 cents each day.
20: Hmm. I think we, we, should, we should hear Mr. Dabbelstein out. I mean, it's so hard running the farms with all of our, our own boys, you know, off fighting the war. I bet, I bet Grandpa would have liked it. Remember, <laughs> he could talk somebody's head off oh, in yes. German. He would give these guys a piece of his mind mm-hmm. about how Germany fell for that miserable little tyrant and all their Heil Hitler salutes. <laughs> mm-hmm.
19: You know, Catherine, I don't think your grandfather is going to be allowed a lot of time to talk with the prisoners. You know, the rules say... No fraternizing with the prisoners. That's why they can't come into your house. Oh. Oh. Well, folks, I think I've given you the bare bones of this program. The farmers, they get help to get their crops harvested. The prisoners, they get to see how we do things in this country.
15: Well, Clint, you know, we are a stubborn people. Yes, you are. But um, (laughs) maybe Maybe. We should also be practical and and open-minded. I mean, the idea of a good crop just lying there in the fields because we don't have the hands to bring it in for harvest, well, that is the worst thought a farm family can have. (coughs) See, when Ma
20: said that, I knew what we were going to (laughs) do.
19: Well, folks, why don't we just sort of settle back and watch the Spelt family and see how things went for them this summer.
20: some sandwiches
15: for the boys. I I mean those Germans. Uh, Do we have any bologna in the icebox? Catherine, no! You can't feed them sandwiches. They have been out in the field since sunup. No, no, no. I have this whole pot of leftover chicken and dumplings. I'm going to feed them that for lunch.
20: Well, they can't eat stew very well sitting in the grass, and we can't bring them inside either. The rules are pretty clear on that point.
15: Rules. And we don't want to break those rules. So, we'll just take the kitchen table outside. That's what we'll do. That won't break any rules, and besides who's gonna know. Ma, I think you're going soft. Oh, no, I'm just gonna feed those boys. They're hungry. can't feed them sandwiches.
19: (laughs) Well, that's the way it was in 1944, how it went for the farm families and the German field hands. There never was any real problems for any of them.
20: Well, there was that one trouble the night that they heard about the fair. Some of the boys snuck out to go see it. They ate cotton candy and drank and danced the polka all night long, but they were back by breakfast, none the worse for
19: wear. That's true. And in 1945, well, the war was over. Whitewater Camp Number 10 and all the other camps, well, it closed. And the POWs, they were on their way back to Germany.
20: And in 1953, a tornado destroyed most of the camp, and the rest was just torn down over time.
21: But you really really
20: helped with the cause. Yeah,
21: but we really helped
15: with the cause. Uh, Well, we helped. I mean, we just wanted to do the right thing, you know? Like, some of those boys, they were so young. There was one that was only 15, and he was so worried about his family back in Germany bombs and all of that. Well, I just, I just helped a little bit. I just helped him write some letters home. That's all I did. Ma did more than that, as it turned out. When
20: she heard how bad things were for this poor boy and his family back in Germany, she sent care packages to them, and we kept in touch with that family for years.
21: Well, and my Robert came home finally, too, He really was, I was so proud of him, but he was kind of the worst for wear. He was six feet tall and he only weighed 120 pounds. He said he was never abused while in the camp, but he nearly starved for lack of food. All he had to eat was a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a thin bowl of soup and a crust of black bread. That was his daily rations and it was the same thing that the German people were eating as well. Well, I just have to apologize because of what I said in the beginning. I'm sorry about that. You know, in the end, I was really glad that we had treated those German boys the way they treated my Robert. You know, you can't go on hating people forever, after all. Robert says that as soon as we start to think like they do, we will be like they are. After all, those boys are just well, boys, I boys. guess. Yes.
19: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it was in 1944. The Whitewater Camp Number 10, well, it's gone now.
21: Mm-hmm. was gone by a
15: tornado, but you know, Whitewater Park is still there. Oh, yes. And if you decide to go camping at Whitewater and you stay at the south end of the park, you're going to be sleeping right where those barracks used to be.
19: <laughs> really? True. And if you listen just real, real carefully, you just might hear an old German melody whispering through the trees. You hear it? Can you hear it? Uh, I don't <laughs> care. Maybe, though, next time we go camping out there we will.
15: I bet we will.
19: Thanks for coming, <laughs> folks.
1: Thank you to the Winona Historical Society for helping make this episode of
0: Culture Click possible.
1: I'm Willard Hike. thanks for listening.
0: Creating cultural awareness and understanding. You've been listening to Culture Click. Support for Culture Click is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Culture Click is produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. For more information, look us up on the web at kqal.org. And thanks for listening to Culture Click.
1: Are you interested in all things Winona and the surrounding area? Find podcasts of Culture Click and all your favorite KQAL shows at kqal.org. Culture Click is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.